well, I jackets. Mean, you can go buy Clorox bleach at the grocery store. Yeah, true. But that's and like... you're gonna use it for bleach, or you could use it for murder stuff. <laughs> With deft storytelling and convincing scholarship, Kara Robertson does the seemingly impossible by bringing new life to perhaps our oldest true crime saga, The Gilded Age Case of Lizzie Borden, by giving us Fall River, Massachusetts in full and in context, as well as the panoply of characters who made the trial so sensational. Robertson has written that rarest of things, a page turner with a point. Welcome to He Read, She Read, the podcast where a couple of married bookworms discuss what they're reading and learning. Today we're discussing our April buddy read, The Trial of Lizzie Borden, by Kara Robertson. I'm Curtis. And I'm Chelsea. This week's episode is brought to you by Libro FM. Libro FM is the audiobook subscription service that lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite indie bookstore. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including new releases, current bestsellers, and recommendations from booksellers around the country. And you can select which independent bookstore to support. With Libro FM, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the one. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro FM app. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out recommendations and curated lists from the people who know audiobooks best, local booksellers. Listeners of He Read, She Read can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one. That is three audiobook credits for the price of one. And get this, the monthly membership is the same price as the other company. We've made the switch to Libro FM, and we hope you will too. Go to Libro FM, that is L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter the promo code H-R-S-R, or go through the link in our show notes. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. So, Chelsea. Yes. The Trial of Lizzie Borden. I didn't really like it, to be honest. Or I didn't love it. I think I would have liked it better on audio, so I don't know that I care enough to keep a copy. (laughs) Well, it kind of falls in that... We like true crime books. Like mm-hmm. we listen to um, Rebecca McNamara's "I'll Be Gone." Michelle, I, you always oh, call her by a different name, which is bad. <laughs> That's that, I feel really bad about that. But doesn't Rebecca McNamara feel like it's got a flow to it? Sure. So, Michelle. <laughs> so Mac- does Michelle. Michelle McNamara's um, "I'll Be Gone in the Dark," which uh-huh. was about the Golden State Killer. So it, we're not averse to like a courtroom drama or some true crime aspects yeah also history we're both history nerds we Mm -hmm. just like learning um so nonfiction book about a topic that is interesting yeah like on paper this fits in for both of us like different categories that we like and i did like aspects of it I just didn't love it. It's not a book that I would return to. I don't know that it's a book that I would really loan out because I don't think it has very wide appeal. Yeah, it's got to be a a little bit of a niche. Like you've either got to be interested in legal stuff um, or you've got to like the Gilded Age 1890s. Or the case itself. Like there are people who are super interested in Lizzie Borden. Yeah, they they call themselves the Bordenologists. Really? I read that in the book. <laughs> I but, probably skimmed that part. But Kara Roberts, <laughs> but the author, this is her first book. So I feel like some of that, 
kind of gets worked out in later novels or something. Like, some of the flow really wasn't there. Yeah. And very much into the trial aspect of it because she was a clerk on the Supreme Court. She's got a PhD in English from Oxford, a JD from Stanford, and then she started researching this case as an undergrad at Harvard in the 90s. So she goes way back with this case. That and comes across in her writing. She's very passionate about the case. But it's also very academic. Yes. The writing style is dry. Well, it's really academic. Lots, which Lots of stuff going over case notes and talking yeah. about lawyers and objections back and forth. It's it, very detailed, which is good, but also is a lot. Not for everyone. No, not for me. I mean, I liked it from the aspect that, you know, I, I like legal shows. Like, I did what, the 90s were a lot of JAG and Boston Legal in the 2000s. And I did mock trial in high school mm-hmm. and debate and stuff like that. So I liked the amount of detail in the you can tell she like read through this whole case file and all the notes repeatedly to get in the shoes of these lawyers and she's got the background to do that as a legal clerk Mm -hmm. and a lawyer herself where she can kind of picture what they were doing in the case and how they were trying to prove things on one side or the other because there's really nothing here like to prove that lizzie killed her parents like it's all very circumstantial but it took over the consciousness of the whole northeastern area for the year or two that it was in the news. Like, it's basically the OJ trial of mm-hmm. the 1890s. And it's just all in the papers. There's like 1,500 people that show up at the trial. So, but and at the end of it all, there's really no evidence. She was just in the house. And it's all circumstantial stuff. But there's also not enough evidence to prove her innocence. Exactly. But that's the whole point. Is They, they have to prove that she did it beyond all the reasonable doubt stuff right and then in your mind you're like oh i don't care about reasonable doubt i just want this to be interesting yeah yeah (laughs) so true so in general did you enjoy the read you read the whole book yes unlike me um let's see i I agree with you that on audio it probably would have been more engaging um there's a lot of focus on the actual trial which you know it's the trial of lizzie borden she gets into like the actual crime right away oh yeah like there is no background on like what was lizzie like as a girl or you know what was her relationship like with her parent like there is nothing it is like here are the facts right away like the first two chapters lay out the crime you can tell she's a lawyer as an author oh my goodness it gets straight to the point and i did like that actually well i feel like if you're going for like a case study on her as a person and from like a psychological aspect that's been done yeah i feel like this is more focused on if you like legal history or wanted to see how the case was a sensation and a phenomenon Mm -hmm. then this is really more interesting in that sense i liked it because i'm interested in like how these type of cases affect culture and how it was playing out in the newspaper and also like she clips headlines from papers and illustrations and then there's crime scene photos there's crime scene photos Mm -hmm. which are awesome but also had you never seen those before no i had never seen those before they were really like my interaction with the lizzie borden case was minimal going into this like do you remember when uh smart guy was on disney channel in the 90s no you you never watched smart guy i don't think we had taj mori uh, mm, okay, that sounds familiar. Where he's like 10 years old and in high school. It sounds familiar, but it wasn't one of my shows. So there's uh, one of his brother's girlfriends like supposedly goes crazy and starts 
like becoming an axe murderer. And so there's the what on Disney Channel? Yeah, don't worry about it. But (laughs) but they do the jingle of like the Lizzie Borden got an axe, gave her mother Uh forty wax. So then they adapt that for the uh, Marcus's girlfriend. So yeah, but other than that, I didn't really know a lot about the deep story. dive. Yeah, that's a deep dive into nineteen nineties Disney uh, Channel. But you know, I didn't really know a lot about the case. I knew that she got off, and there wasn't really a lot of like more detail on that that I was really interested in. Mm-hmm. But I liked how detailed they get into the structure of the house. Yeah, that was interesting. Like being because. Lizzie was living there with her sister. They were both in their 30s, spinsters, not married. And their father had remarried uh, after their mother died, and they did not get along with the stepmom. Like, it's very much a Cinderella, wicked stepmom story. Is it, though? Because even the way that Kara Robertson wrote it, it seems like the stepmom was fine, and that these girls were snots. (laughs) They didn't like that their father had enough money to move them to a bigger house and he wouldn't. Mm-hmm. They wanted to, like, be fancier. They, it just seemed, I mean, the way that the sisters were portrayed, I thought, it seemed like the stepmom didn't necessarily do anything wrong or it's hard to know. Maybe she was really cruel to them, but mm-hmm. they were old enough to, like, take, you know, take not take that shit. Um <laughs> But they just, it, it kind of seemed like they were cast as, like, snotty, ungrateful ladies. Yeah. So I feel like she did a good job of, like, leading up to the case, even though she really gets into the crime, like, real fast. Mm-hmm. But then from the moment that the murders happen, and then going through the investigation and the trial was where I was really interested. So... Like, it's really a mystery because there's only two or three people going in and out of this house. The people were, like, peeping toms and neighbors that were being nosy, didn't see anybody running around. But then they couldn't find a murder weapon. There wasn't blood on Lizzie or on her clothes. And it's all kind of crazy. Yeah, it is it is really Nuts. interesting. Um, so I do think I would have liked it better on audio just because of how dry it was. I feel like if I could have been doing a different task while I was listening to it, mm-hmm. I would have gotten more out of it. Yeah. So I read about the first 130 pages and was very into it. And then that middle section where it was all just the trial stuff, that's that's just where it got too dry for me. And I stopped caring. Just back and forth with all the lawyers. And... Yeah, because the stuff that I really am interested in is... I. I am really fascinated by the Gilded Age, just as an era of American history. Um, But also, I think there's really interesting literature that comes out of that time. I think women's issues at that time are really fascinating because that's like the dawn of the suffragette movement. That's like a real turn for women. Um, And a lot of that was in the book about like how... um, you know Lizzie's womanhood and her status was always people thought like in the complete binary at that time of like you are male you are female this is exactly how all women are and this is exactly how all men are and there was no like it was it was all stereotypes like that right so just the fact that she was a woman on trial for murder was one of the biggest aspects of this case and I think part of why she was acquitted was because she was a woman of means, number one. She was a white woman, born and raised in that town. Yes, had means, had 
certain class status. I just, it, um, Kara Robertson talks about the way that immigrants were treated in similar circumstances of like being tried for a crime. And I think it would have been a completely different story. Or you can even look at the initial thoughts of the investigators being like, oh, it must have just been a crazed immigrant on the run. Like, right. Did you have anybody of Portuguese descent or working like, for you? How could this woman um, even have the strength to take down a 200 pound person with an axe? Like, I just, I think that that aspect really interests me is just like public perception and gender stereotypes of the time and just the societal stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, that I find really interesting. The actual trial details, not not interesting to me. So I really liked the beginning. I liked the last couple of chapters, the stuff in between I was able to skim. And if I was listening to the audiobook, I would have listened all the way through, but I didn't. So I didn't read the whole book. Sue me. (laughs) (laughs) I don't believe in like forcing yourself through a book if you're not really enjoying it. Yeah. Well, plus when it gets to the point where they're just talking about all the lawyers and their mustaches. (laughs) I know. At one point I was like, I don't want to hear about another mustache. (laughs) Well, I mean, because all the lawyers, all the judges, all the jurors, they're all white men. And and we had a physical description of all of them. And frankly, they all looked the same. So (laughs) I don't need to know. I did like how that kind of description of Lizzie as a society woman and a woman in general and how those perceptions might have influenced how this jury decided this case because one thing that Kara talks about or Kara Robinson talks about is since the 1860s in Massachusetts you could be a black person on a jury but it wasn't up until the 1950s that you could be a woman on a jury. I thought that fact was really that interesting was, too. I had no idea before. Um, yeah, I found that really interesting. So there was one African American man on her jury, wasn't there? Uh, he was in the prospective pool, but he was not picked. Okay. Um, all the jurors ended up being white. Um, but then it, this plays over into like the media portrayal of the trial mm-hmm. because like there's a point when they bring out the skulls of her father and stepmother and try to fit like axes from the house into the wounds and Mm -hmm. and she faints and there's like drawings in the boston globe the next day being like borden swoons Mm -hmm. and this whole perception of trying to show her as like a delicate female that couldn't have possibly committed these crimes or like earlier when she first showed up for like the first hearing and she was very cool and calm and so people were like oh well clearly something's wrong with her she's a psychopath because how could a woman be so calm in these circumstances um i thought that was really interesting the part i think maybe that i found the most fascinating was when they talked about how there were like bloody rags in the wash basin or something right so you'd automatically be like suspicious suspicious but then they were like well Somebody was on their period. But then the um, Kara Robertson brings up, like, you couldn't necessarily say that because then everybody would assume that because Lizzie Borden was on her period that she was hysterical and did commit murder because there is this, like, huge stigma around women's... Menstruation. Well, menstruation and just women's health in general. If you had any kind of affliction, you were hysterical. You were... Many women were, like, literally put in madhouses just because they were... You know, either they had maybe had anxiety or they were just unhappy with their life circumstances. Anything that was like out of the realm of 
perfection for women. Mm -hmm. Oh, they're hysterical. And there was this huge stigma around menstruation. I thought like that, that just was fascinating to me that that played a role in like evidence and the trial in Mm -hmm. some way. Well, not only that, but I like how Robertson was able to play that out from like the historical context, but then also from the defense attorney side being like, okay, we have to say that this is not like part of the murder blood but then we can't also come out and say she was on her period because then people will think she was in a murderous rage. Yeah. This is nuts. Like, how do you, how are you supposed to defend with all this going on? And I, then that's the only yeah. blood that was on one of her, um, I think it was just like a little speck on one of her dresses. And they were mm-hmm. like, oh, it's just menstrual blood. And then people just automatically got dis- uncomfortable in... Everyone's in a tizzy because <laughs> well, how dare a woman bleed. Well, and then it's in the courtroom and people are like, oh, yeah, we're just going to push that. We don't want to talk about yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> but then it's really weird, like, how much time was devoted to being like, did she have blood on her? Was there blood on her clothes? And then she ended up burning those rags and burning a dress. And you're like, okay, that's got to be suspicious. Yeah. But nothing really ever comes out of it. And also, if there was a murder weapon and she's just going through and beating people with an axe, where's the axe? Mm-hmm. That's that's the other weird part that I don't understand. Yeah. Um, I think the other part that I found the most interesting was just the very end of how she formed her life after the trial. Yeah. Um, she purchased like this big, beautiful house and really lived more as a woman of high society the way that she wanted to. Um, kind of made friends with these actors and like was into the arts and things. And it just seems like, you know what? I would totally buy that she was so unhappy with her life, had a really stifling like experience with her parents, with her father and stepmother, and that they were so incredibly stifling and that she wanted a different life for herself that they wouldn't let her have, that she broke one day because she was pushed to the brink murdered them and ultimately found happiness and to be quite honest not even mad i like that yeah not even mad about it it. i like that narrative (laughs) i'll be honest like i think she did it too and i honestly think that bridget sullivan helped out like there's who was the, Hmm. the maid in the house and there's these theories that go back and forth because this case has been you know examined for over 120 years um but they're the only two people that were in the house because the stepmother was killed first on the second floor while mr borden was out so then you get the full timeline about being like okay she was killed at this point an hour later he comes home he's laying down on the couch and then he gets like 15 axe blows to the face Mm -hmm. and i don't know i i think And Lizzie makes up this weird thing about, she's like, oh, well, I think Abby, the stepmother, went out. Oh, no, she's back now. But the way that the house is set up, like, none of that is realistic. Right, because there's, would First of all, you would know if someone went out and came back. And there's, like, an intricate series of locks and doors and that separates all the rooms, which was hard to comprehend for a while. And it was even a point where, like, the Boston Globe, like, had a map and a Mm -hmm. timeline which makes really seem like the OJ trial where they're just like, Hey people, we know that this is the big news of the day. We want you to understand what's going on. So they're like, Hey, cut out this map. So when you're reading stories, you know where things Mm -hmm. are at. And they like took the jurors through the home and did all of this crazy stuff. And I don't know. I just feel like it became such a part of society for that year or so. And 
don't know. People people may have wanted her to get away with it. Things haven't changed all that much. I think that's another thing that struck me was the fervor with which people followed the case and everything. There's sort of a couple of camps in true crime today. There's the camp of people who, you know, think it's super fascinating or really into it. And then there's sort of a camp of people who are like hesitant about it because they see it as really voyeuristic. Why are we paying so much attention to the killers and not the victims? That sort of thing. Um, But I think when you look at cases like this, nobody had Twitter or, you know, social media to talk about it. But the fervor is the same. Yep. People are just fascinated by stories of evil and human nature and yeah, the the fervor over the story is the same as I think it would be today. Well, there's a lot of the class stuff in there too, yep. which was because she's a woman of means that potentially murdered her parents of means that mm-hmm. would make the like the poor people in Falls River and other areas of Massachusetts be like they attach, oh, so she can get away with stuff? Yeah, and then they attach themselves to that story. Yeah. Which is the same thing that happened with OJ, and I keep coming back mm-hmm. to it, but it's just like the fall from grace of people that are at an elevated position, mm-hmm. and you just see that they can make mistakes and they're not perfect. And then yeah. at, at the end, even when they think that they did it, they can get away with it. Another thing that I thought is really interesting is that the law firm that represented her still exists to this day. Yep. And that they have files locked up. Which is really weird that they haven't, like, given those to historical societies yet. They, they say it's attorney-client privilege and that they can't. What? That's really weird. Like, I feel like it, there should be at some point because some of her lawyers have given up their documents and they're part of, like, the historical Falls River sure. area. But, like, one of the lawyers hasn't given up their stuff because she had multiple people that were on her team. And you can go to Falls River today, and the same people like run a Lizzie Borden bread and breakfast at the murder house, and then the house that she moved into mm-hmm. after the trial that you talked about. So there's a market for a lot of this Lizzie Borden stuff in Massachusetts. And then there's historical societies and people that go there to try to figure out what happened. So I feel like they should just give up those documents. But yeah. also, what's, I thought what's... it was so interesting that they claimed, like, nope, this is attorney-client privilege. This is how firm we are on our stance. Of course, we're not going to, like, just burn the documents because they're this amazing piece of history. But I don't know. Something could be in there to blow the case wide open. Well, what are they going to find? The blue dress with the blood on it? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but the amount of time they spent talking... Me. The amount of time they spent talking about that blue dress and, like, what the style was and all of this other stuff, like, it reminded me of just the OJ glove where, like, mm-hmm. it, it just became this huge point of the trial. And people were just like, oh, I have no idea what it was or what it looked like. And then people were, like, getting caught in lies back and forth. Um, ooh, how did you feel that whole segment went where she was supposedly went and got poison? It's hard to say. I think part of the interesting thing of this is like so much of it is hearsay. Mm-hmm. And are these people telling the truth or are they caught up in the excitement of the trial and they just want to have a part in something? So mm-hmm. did the pharmacist really truly see her that one day? Um, or... Was he making it up because he just wanted to be in the action? Mm-hmm. Um, that is one of the really interesting things is that her everybody in her family was sick except for her. 
with the food like the supposed food poisoning, food poisoning the night before but then yeah. she didn't get sick so then there's this speculation that because she went to go get this poison which shouldn't be readily available <laughs> yes but another... this was a time period where they were like this was when like coca-cola had cocaine, cocaine in, in it, it. <laughs> <laughs> but i mean you could go to this like pharmacy and just pick up poison that could kill you in like a ounce but then they used it to like fix their seal skin jackets you can go buy clorox bleach at the grocery store yeah true but that's you're gonna use it for bleach or you could use it for murder stuff (laughs) murder stuff (laughs) very specific well i don't want to be too specific on the podcast i guess just overall like I enjoyed the amount of detail that she had and the passion that she obviously shows for giving us the full picture. Like I felt like I was in Falls River mm-hmm. following the story, like probably just one of these spectators. Like I knew what was in the papers. I knew what was happening in the courtroom. And then when it got to the point where I was getting the mental dialogue with all of these lawyers, that got to be a little bit too much mm-hmm. because, you know, yeah, it's, it made for an interesting discussion together but i feel like we could have just listened to a podcast about her and had this same discussion yeah you know um one thing at the end of the book i really liked this commentary um kara robertson says most interpretations tell us more about the preoccupations of its chroniclers than any essential truth about the mystery right Just as Lizzie Borden's contemporaries saw their own worst fears refracted through the prism of her trial, later commentators have seized upon whatever aspect of the mystery speaks most eloquently to their time. So then it talks about, like, in the 1950s, when people were talking about the story, they sort of imagined Lizzie Borden as this nightmarish feminist because there's, like, this fear around feminism at the time of, like, well, women are going to come out of the kitchen with axes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then... Later on, um, the narrative sort of changes to fit with what modern perceptions we have of gender and which modern perceptions we have of crime and stuff like that. And so, and that makes a lot of sense. I think, like you were talking about with the OJ trial, we can see that over time perceptions of the trial and perceptions of him have changed. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, I don't know, I... Is there any other case besides Lizzie Borden that is so stuck in America? I mean, it's essentially folklore at this point. Yeah. um, I don't know. In case of, like, unsolved crimes. Yeah. That's really... I mean, London has Jack the Ripper. Yep. Which is around the same time period. Yeah. Um, You could say... I mean, you could say, like, the fascination with, like, the Adnan Syed stuff after the serial yeah. podcast came out, how that became such a phenomenon in society. Because mm-hmm. um, it kind of just grasped at something mm-hmm. where people wanted to uh, latch onto it and figure out what was happening. Um, but then also, like, what's that? Now I gotta think of it. Well, Making a Murder on Netflix. That, yeah. That was actually mentioned in the book. Yeah. That, like, there hasn't been a Netflix documentary on Lizzie Borden yet. <laughs> well, there's been, like, a resurgence in, like, film. Mm-hmm. and Because there was a 2018 movie with Kristen Stewart that came out that was not very well there received. Was, there was a TV show with Christina Ricci. In addition to? There, it was, like, a miniseries or something. Hmm. A couple years ago. 
Um, yeah. I and think... then there have been a couple books out recently, like fiction, fictionalized versions of the story. Yeah, it touches on something. And I, I still find it interesting. I just, I didn't need all the detail that was in this book. I guess I, I care more about, I appreciated more about her commentary and I care more about like the social perceptions of the crime and the societal implications than I do the actual crime and the actual details. Mm-hmm. So. See, I liked the the trial aspect and how that became such a part of the culture and mm-hmm. how people uh, latched onto that. And a lot of the newspaper coverage I really was interested in just to see how it was being portrayed and how people were interacting with it from afar. Well, and it's going to... You've been reading The Bully Pulpit mm-hmm. here and there. Yep. That's kind of like your big nonfiction book that you kind of go back and forth to. But there's going to be a lot of similar press details and stuff in mm-hmm. that book. So yeah. sometimes that's just kind of fun to be sort of, I don't know, in a certain era for a while in several different books so that you can see it from different points of view and different perspectives. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of fun. Because there's a couple of different sides of this case. You can be trying to think of Lizzie as a person and what her motivations would have been, um, whether there's a lot of people have been trying to say there was like a secret lover that she had mm-hmm. that was trying to t- tell her to get away from her parents and out of their house. Which like makes things more interesting. But but that's like more of a like soap opera yeah. spin on the story. Whereas this is very analytical and just going through like the trial aspects. So if you're into this like Gilded Age where there's new roles for women and how Lizzie was stepping out um, of some of these norms after the trial happened and kind of making a new life for herself, you could kind of see where if she had somebody on the behind the scenes kind of giving her a nudge, how that might be an intriguing story. But that's not really rooted in any facts. No. But... But both sides of the story are out there and available. Like mm-hmm. there's speculation and a lot of the soap opera stuff. Or you can look at just the bare bones facts and be like, okay, how could somebody have done this crime other than Lizzie yeah. and the house made? Yeah. So I wouldn't recommend it to the general public. I think it's a very niche person that yeah. would enjoy it. If you're into like, I think it would be if you enjoy like the John Grisham like courtroom epics that type of stuff you would like this because there's a lot of back and forth with exhibits and witnesses a lot of legalese and lawyer talk and kind of the case history too of the region and like what cases they were referencing as they were trying the borden Mm -hmm. case um but i say get the audiobook from libro fm yeah instead of getting the actual hard copy. I just think it would be a compelling listen compared to reading all of that. <laughs> and if you're if you're listening and you liked it and you're looking for something else, I think there's a lot of stuff that we've mentioned, like some j- books on Jack the Ripper or like Sherlock Holmes type of stuff. Like mm-hmm. I grew up reading those. So that late 1800s um, investigations and murder and that type of stuff, that interests me from... Uh, that sense but yeah um some of my favorite gilded age literature is um the yellow wallpaper is a short story by charlotte perkins gilman and that really examines um women's psychology at the time the awakening by kate chopin is 
I mean, it's like a seminal American literary work, again, with like Gilded Age women's issues. And The House of Mirth by Edith Wharton is one of my favorite books. And Edith Wharton is a very like important classic Gilded Age writer. So if you're interested in this time period, there are other ways to access it besides Lizzie Borden's trial. Um, We'll include more recommendations in the discussion guide and in our uh, monthly newsletter, which are available on Patreon. So you can go to patreon.com slash he read, she read and get those discussion guides and newsletters. And we'll have more recommendations based on this book in those documents. I'm glad that we read it. It just kind of highlighted things that we like and things that we don't. Yeah. And sometimes the things that we think we're going to like aren't always going to be bangers. Well, it was a topic that I think we were both interested in. I just think it was it, it was funny to see that we were interested for completely different reasons. Right. And me, me from like the historical, legal yeah. stuff. And then you from more the Gilded Age. Um, the societal, mm-hmm. like women's history perspective. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So... Let's shift over to our recommendations of the week. Um, yours is a good segue from the trial of Lizzie Borden. Well, talking about just overly detailed legalese, um, I read the Mueller report, like literally read all 400. Like the, yeah. the actual Mueller report, yeah. like not a commentary on it. No, I read, read the, the actual I Mueller read the report. actual Mueller report, 448 pages. A little bit of a humble brag thrown in there. Uh, it only took me a couple hours. Um, oh, there's the humble brag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, it's on NPR and other places have it in PDF. Um, and I think Amazon is going to start actually printing them out and um, selling them for people oh, I'm to sure. have. Um, but yeah, it, it was kind of weird to read the two of those together. Um, this and Lizzie Borden, just to see how those two investigations have kind of taken over culture mm-hmm. um and how so many people have talked about them um and from re- regardless of whatever side of the aisle you're on and we're not going to get political on it it's important f- from my perspective just for people to be aware of what's in it and to read it for yourself so instead of choosing whichever commentary fits your bias exactly so read the actual report and then figure it out for yourself what you think either that or npr did a good job of taking sections and annotating them and having a little bit of commentary in there and they're usually pretty good about just bare bones yeah they do a pretty good job of that yeah um so i'd recommend it for people that are wanting to know what went down and a lot of it is just like very detailed lots of legal lawyer talk but um i got through it and i'm glad i did it good job What's your uh, recommendation for this week? I was just thinking it's a good thing Lizzie Borden didn't have a Twitter account. (laughs) Um, So my recommendation is the Nerdette with Peter Sagal Game of Thrones recaps. I just listened to the season eight episode one recap today. And it just reminded me why I find the three hosts so charming. And it's they're great recaps. Um... But they're funny, they're detailed, if you like Game of Thrones. Um, Nerdette is a great podcast in and of itself, but I usually just listen to their Game of Thrones recaps with Peter Sagal. So um, I think I recommend them, recommended this on our Game of Thrones episode, um, but it, it's worth recommending again now that we're into season eight. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, and if you want to talk Game of Thrones with us, we've been, that's pretty much, if we're not talking about our upcoming move or like 
boring day-to-day stuff. We're talking, We're about, talking about Game of Thrones together constantly, so... I think a, a funny one that I found on Twitter was uh, pick your top five that you want at the Battle of Winterfell to fight right next to you. And that was a interesting discussion at the last couple of social events we've had. Yeah. Maybe we'll put that up on our Instagram this week. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So... That's it from us. Thank you for subscribing and sharing He Read, She Read. This was actually our last episode before our mid-season break. So we're not releasing any new episodes next month for the month of May. Don't worry. We will be back with more great content this summer. We just need a little break to adjust to new circumstances. We're moving. We'll update you all on that in June after we're all moved and settled. But in the meantime, we would so appreciate you taking the time to write a review for us on iTunes. I think we have 49 reviews. I just want to get 50. Come on, get I that 50. I just want 50. Somebody get it. Um, we have like over 100 ratings, which are the little star ratings, but those only count for so much. The actual written reviews where you say a couple words about the podcast and why you like it or don't like it. I don't know. You do you. Um, <laughs> We're not for everybody. Those actually, yeah, those actually count for more. So please take the time to write a couple of words. Um, as always, you can connect with us on social media or email. On Twitter and Instagram, we're at HeRedSheRed. And our email is HeRedSheRedPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you all for listening. And remember, the couple that reads together. Finds ways to solve problems other than X's. Yeah. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, just for reference, talk it out with me rather than trying to hit me in the head with an axe. I don't know. I might snap one day. You'll know when I bring a bunch of bleach home. <laughs> <laughs>